0: This is IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. I'm your host,
1: Lee Llewellyn. Indiana Municipal Power Agency is a not-for-profit power provider that serves the electric needs of 61 communities across Indiana and Ohio. IMPA supplies its towns and cities with low-cost, reliable, and environmentally responsible wholesale power, providing some of the Midwest's best electric rates. As a not-for-profit agency committed to supporting its members, IMPA also provides various services beyond power supply, including economic development opportunities. IMPA's Economic Development Rider is a valuable tool for IMPA member communities to encourage the growth and success of existing companies and their service territory, and to attract new businesses to their area. The ED Rider's discount combined with low cost rates makes IMPA's public power community some of the best for economic growth. For more information about the ED Rider or any economic development opportunities offered by IMPA, Please contact Victoria Rossfrost at victoriar at impa.com. IMPA is proud to sponsor this podcast from IEDA.
0: This is the second of our series of podcasts with the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, IEDC, intended to share information with Indiana's economic development professionals to help build better collaboration to help advance our state. And today we're going to talk again about site readiness strategy of the IEDC and specifically how strategic sites inventory plays a role and why it was initiated by IEDC a couple of years ago to generate more potential development sites. Joining me on the podcast today are Brock Herr, IEDC Senior Vice President for Business Development, Matt Wade, IEDC Vice President for Marketing, and victor leota principal with leota location and design so brock matt and victor thanks for joining me today Uh, this is a return appearance for matt and victor to talk about ssi and uh, victor is joining us by phone from uh baton rouge louisiana (laughs) so victor we're glad you're here thanks lee Glad to be here again good good so brock Can you outline the IEDC's site readiness strategy as a whole and how the state is thinking about and approaching site
2: identification and development? Sure, Lee, and thanks again for having us back on the podcast. Um, Really enjoy doing these with you guys. You know, I think this has evolved a lot over the last few years uh, with us and uh, our formal site strategy. And so I'll just say it started with, you know, SSI, the program that we'll talk a little bit more about and folks are familiar with a couple years ago to really, you know, identify the void in the market of, um, we have a lot of momentum we're landing projects, which is taking down great sites. So we want to identify additional sites. Um, that's very much still part of the strategy. And I'll say that's one leg of a three-legged stool um, that we're looking at. And so uh, Matt will talk a little bit more about how that's evolving, but um, still going there. But then another piece of our strategy is around mega sites. And So this is where it really has evolved and taken off over the last few years where we've identified one a need to lean into that built environment that live work play um, and almost look at where there's opportunity to seriously potentially create a new population center and then on the other hand identify mega sites multi thousand acre contiguous spots that are great for these mega projects. So not to cannibalize those traditional sites, but truly to fill a void. So from a holistic standpoint, I think we're looking at it from traditional sites all the way up to state-sponsored mega sites. And SSI, uh, the program, and Victor have played a, a big role, not only in that evolution, but now as part of that process. So, Brock just mentioned then SSI, the Strategic Site Inventory
0: Program. So, Victor, give us a short overview of the Strategic Site Inventory Program. What is it, and why does it matter?
3: Sure. The SSI program is really intended to help communities identify their most competitive real estate assets uh, for economic development. And when I say real estate assets, really we're talking about greenfield sites, undeveloped land uh, that have good development characteristics for a land use that fits in with their industry targets and the idea is that site selection which the SSI program is really born out of site selection takes on uh, really a uh, almost a sense of urgency when you look at a particular project when you have a prospective company looking to locate in a market area uh, or a community and you get a request for information that may come from a site consultant or from the company directly and most communities you know uh, really are beholden to what properties they have on the market that are publicly available. Some work, some have really competitive sites that, that would fit the needs of those particular companies, but many don't. And so the idea of the SSI program is to get out in front of those RFIs, help communities identify what their really their potential looks like with competitive sites that may not be on anybody's radar, that through some investigation through a desktop study uh, eventually some boots on the ground and certainly as a local function engaging with landowners to determine their interest and placing those properties on the market. So uh, at the end of the day if you want to distill all this down we're really talking about being competitive in economic development by improving the quality of the real estate assets through the SSI program uh, at the community level.
0: Okay thanks Victor. Uh, so so Matt you and the IEDC staff have spent the last few years scanning the state for some of these new competitive site opportunities. So what have been the results so far?
4: Yeah, I think there's been a lot of learning in that period. Um, We started with 1,700 potential opportunities throughout the state. And I think what Leota has helped us and I think the market identify is that it's a combination of factors that make sites competitive now. It's not enough to find available land next to an interchange, labor shed, utilities, having those things aligned and ready has become more and more competitive for us to move sites forward. But I could recap the numbers, just progress so far. We're, we're a little more than halfway through screening the state at the county level with um, local officials. 44 counties completed, and we've got two counties scheduled this month, so that's 46 of the 92 is that where you want to be is that where we need to be i'd like to be a little further it would really be nice to to really you know press our foot on the accelerator i i see these rfps for big projects coming faster it didn't seem to slow down through the pandemic and so yeah i halfway is is a good place to be. That's nine hundred and thirty five sites reviewed. We've had three hundred and thirty three sites that have scored four and above, which is at that local review with Leota, a, a competitive site that's ready to bring forward. The average uh, site size is about two hundred and thirty acres. So you know probably more opportunities, bigger opportunities than we thought. And you know that's that average is about seven sites per county, new opportunities identified. So I think we've progressed quite a bit, but anything we can do through this podcast, through other conversations, to get more people engaged in the process, the better. Well, and
0: again, as I said, we've had this conversation a couple of times before, and we keep trying to get the locals to respond a little more quickly. And I think part of that is because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we have a sense that the the issue is we need inventory, we need sites to be able to offer, and we, we don't have
2: as many as we would like to have that we can pull from. Yeah, I, I think that's fair, Lee. <clears throat> and it, it's not that we don't have a lot of sites to pull from. There are some existing really good sites out there. Um, I think what we've heard is kind of the the new... Identity of these projects, whether they're mega projects or even smaller, they have different site needs and requirements. Whether it's driven by workforce needs, whether it's driven by utility needs, so you know I think that's where the void is: is trying to you know address a site market void versus replacing or scrapping existing pro- properties um, because some of those existing properties just don't fit with a 21st century microchip supplier. Or a life science advanced pharmaceutical ingredient manufacturer like they just need special special requirements and that's where this program I think really helps fill that void so so Victor and Matt
0: then what should the locals what do we what do we want from the locals at this point in the process what should we they be doing to prepare what what do we need them to do
3: well I'll tell you that from a, to prepare for this one of the biggest things the locals can do is work to educate their elected officials their local uh, public officials with respect to uh, their their purpose their mission here with respect to greenfield sites for economic development i think everybody can appreciate the need to have uh, a competitive location for a company in their community but i'm not sure they really fully understand you know what they le- they have left to work with and and what is the current you know, competitiveness of the sites that they currently have on the market. And so to really get them to understand this initiative, why it's important, what it entails, because at the end of the day, you're going to have to get support locally. A lot of these sites are going to have to be potentially uh, rezoned uh, or go through a land use amendment. Uh, You need to have some consensus. And I think one of the biggest officials, uh, at least departments within a community is planning and zoning. And to get their support to understand how this gets into the comprehensive land use planning process. And does that need to be recalibrated with respect to what you have left for economic development properties? And uh, I think that's important. I think the other thing they can do is take inventory of their existing sites and really be fair about the quality of those properties as, it, as it's measured through um, uh, from a national perspective on being ready for development to host an industry, uh, or a project that fits within their industry targets. Uh, we have, as you know, Brock mentioned, there are a lot of sites on the market that are in communities that are very well suited to host a project, uh, but some not. And I think they need to be realistic about the quality of what they have to work with. And so to me, those are some of the things that they can do to really help as we begin the process of not only identifying sites, beginning to work locally to get input and support to move those sites forward
0: so you mentioned nationally and so how how does indiana compare in terms of our site readiness and in terms of our response to other states
4: i don't want to overstate it i I believe we're one of the only states if not the only state that's screening all of its counties and to reinforce what victor said i think that's the thing we've learned through the process is that alignment is really crucial there are a lot of competitive sites in the landscape in previous years but to make a site come forward takes a really big team effort to, to have the alignment that this is going to be a site that checks all 10 boxes out of 10 instead of five and they're harder and harder to identify and bring to market and so it, it usually involves multiple landowners and You know there's no there's no arm twist here everybody needs to be aligned and and want to move this forward because a new competitive site that maybe was difficult to move forward puts us at a competitive advantage to a site in another location another state that was easy to bring to market and i think that was the landscape we were in several years ago it's definitely changed
0: So let me backtrack for just a minute, because you said you were talking about 44, now 46 uh, counties that have participated. Those are counties who have come in to review the site overview that Victor Leota prepares. So that's the 46 counties that have gone through the process with you and have reviewed their sites. But there are probably more counties than that that victor has done the review on is that correct
4: so the desktop analysis and yes and i'll let victor speak to this in depth leota is that, has done the screening of all 92 counties. okay
0: so i think that's that's the point i wanted to get across is that we we're not waiting to do that analysis to bring people in The analysis has been done of all 92 counties, and we're waiting for those other 50-some or nearly 50-some counties to come in and and do that review right now.
2: We can only do so many in a week, and we can't force folks to want to meet with us and meet us halfway. But to your point, Lee, absolutely. We have spent resources to already map and get ready to do a full 92-county sit-down engagement. And to Matt's credit, Forty six counties have taken us up on that. And, okay. And
4: we and need I to just bring Sarah Salisbury into this. She has tirelessly been our advocate scheduling and taking these calls and she knows the entire state better than than I do for sure. And I just want to point
0: out I I I, I know Matt, I know Brock, I know Victor, I know Sarah. These are nice people. You shouldn't be afraid of coming in and sitting down with them to do this review. So there's nothing intimidating about these people to come in and do this review. So we need to get people in the door. I'm sorry to get a sidetracked yeah. here, but, but I know that that's critical, that we're trying to fill that gap and get those other counties mm-hmm. in. And that's really critical to the whole, I think, strategy for the state is being able to, to look at some of those additional sites
2: and, and hopefully move them toward getting in the inventory, right? And I think Absolutely. that's an important just baseline thing to put out there too, is we've already invested the resources to do these workshops. And so at worst, you're getting free information from us that can better inform what you may wanna do at the ground level. And at best, there's a pathway and an evolving nature of SSI where we can further partner to Dear Pointly get those positioned and and submitted for actual rfps
4: okay and i don't think it's talked about enough it's not shining the spotlight away from the existing sites part of the review process is to review all the sites in the county and so i think sometimes it's really nice to put a benchmark on an existing site and i think it 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 allows the community to evaluate if a new opportunity is equal to better or perhaps you know the existing opportunity is a really viable option
0: So again, uh, sort of long term and in big picture, then how is all of this then fitting up to support the site selection strategy that you all have been developing? I mean, so where does this fit into that?
2: Yeah, so um, I would say that first pillar where we talked about kind of traditional mapping the entire state, that is really where SSI started for us. and. Has now obviously continued to evolve, and again, I think from the traditional site standpoint, we want to do a little bit more of the SSI engagement beyond just mapping it. But where it has really evolved to, um, you know, what Victor and Leota group is great at is really looking at the dirt, the viability of the dirt and the site itself, infrastructure, all of that. And so that's where we've used that layer of expertise to then also inform us as we look to mega site development. So these multi-thousand acre contiguous sites that have minimal landowners, access to good infrastructure, utilities, and then layer over that some, you know, workforce and does this type of project or mega development make sense here? So that's really where I think SSI is kind of the dirt due diligence in a sense that underlines all of our state strategy stuff is does this dirt make sense first and foremost before any of the other considerations are looked at.
4: And I would I would circle back to why the local review is so important. That's the community base of knowledge that can really identify which site does or doesn't based off a of desktop analysis have connection to utilities. The utilities are always included in these reviews and and there's really no way to shake that out. Without doing it at the local level, and those counties that have completed their site reviews, um, I would I would encourage everyone with sites that have scored four and above to do the the Leota site profile. Um, we use those even in our mega sites. It, it's a really good high level view of where the site's positioned, a general idea of what's buildable, labor shed. It's It's really aligned to our RFP process, and it would be a great way for all of us to kind of unite and start to be able to streamline even the submission process for projects. Getting your counter review done and getting a site profile done puts you kind of at the head of the line to start to submit with us in a way that I I think it shows strength that we're all united in the same presentation for all sizes of projects.
2: And Lee, this actually ties back to what we talked about the previous podcast with Jessica and Matt about site preparedness and showing a roadmap or a plan. These phase one documents that have been produced, it's not just for information for the locals to have and and digest. Those are the documents that a lot of the locals actually want us to submit in RFPs for new projects. So you can kind of see where SSI and attractions come together.
3: Yeah, I'll add to the local site review workshop with respect to going in, the review process is vitally important. I mean, Matt and Brock both alluded to this. There's only so much that we can glean from a desktop study remotely. We certainly don't know the county uh, these sites live in and we need that local Mm -hmm. input. And I would say that the concern that I have is this, that every day that goes by, there's a potential competitive property in someone's backyard that's not being evaluated and move forward to market, a couple things happen. One, there's, a, there's potential that you lose a project that perhaps you didn't have a site that would work for. And with the level, the volume of activity out there with RFIs, I think it's vitally important really to exhaust every, you know, every acre you have that can be competitively put forward for economic development. The other thing is that there's so much pressure on varying land uses Uh, Housing, affordable housing, renewables for solar, uh, just the the organic growth within a community, that if these sites are not being addressed and evaluated, and then working with planning and zoning, again, to protect those sites, you also can lose those sites to a non-economic development. What that translates into is a a good job-producing project with sustainable tax revenues. And I think that, to me, it's all the more reason why because the state has funded this, IDC, uh, and its power partners, really these sites have been identified and they're sitting in a database. And as a community, uh, we really wanna go through that exercise to explore those locally, get the input to prioritize these sites and find out which ones are practical from a local perspective for development. And I will say this, that there, uh, there's some, some opportunities to take advantage of. Many of the power partners across the state of Indiana, electric utility partners, both IOUs and co-ops are helping to fund some of the due diligence on these sites, but it's, it's a requirement that the local site review workshop be conducted first in order to understand what potential is there, which sites at least would be supported locally. So it's just really important to, to get that done. And we're at the 50 percent, you know, right at the 50%, you know, 50 percent, 50-yard line on that, and we want to continue to encourage the balance of communities to get their workshop scheduled.
0: So we've been talking about this as primarily something for uh, attraction. But Brock, I mean, so having these sites and identifying these sites, how does that help with the business retention and expansion strategy that we've talked about in the
2: past? Yeah, um, great question. I would say I will drop the B from the br and e, and I, I think it has more of a retention and expansion support for community, workforce, and business. Um, so just at a very minimal level, yep, better understand your dirt. You know what sites are good for development, what sites aren't good for development, whether it's economic development or otherwise. And so ultimately that can help inform a retention, expansion strategy, or frankly a master plan. Again, if a community is going through any type of master planning process, they can get free info from us. <laughs> um, to help inform you know, what is the good dirt. And so that, again, is kind of a community retention expansion aspect in my mind. Um, but then really, the ecosystem and the, the supplier aspect of it, you know, big communities, small communities alike, they've got anchor companies. And those anchor companies in a global economy now have suppliers and partners that need to be close. And as we go out and do BRE visits, what we're hearing more and more is, man, I wish XYZ supplier was really close to me. Well, that's you fostering and retaining and expanding an existing business, but you're able to do so now by saying, hey, I can go out and layer that feedback into my lead gen strategy, go try to attract one of your suppliers that helps you cement yourself here, but then also help my community grow from an attraction standpoint. Then what that does is it starts to kind of create almost that ecosystem aspect where, you know, you've almost organically or inorganically created kind of A character if you will or um, you know a district life sciences or something else so it it really kind of weaves nicely I think into supporting existing business whether it's from looking at what your land can be used for from economic development or other purposes or truly like setting them up for attraction projects that would directly benefit your key employer that you don't want to see leave So we've touched upon,
0: talked a couple of times here about now the emergence of this mega sites concept. And and so that has become a bit of a buzzword as we're moving forward. And, you know, I think last year there were a lot of headlines and there was a lot of discussion about one particular mega site that uh, emerged through the process. And so that has generated some curiosity It's generated some some uh, conversation sort of between the state and the local level Uh, so matt when we when we talk about that project the launch of the leap and the eli lilly announcement project of the project in boone county so how does that mega site and how does this mega site concept really fit into the overall site readiness strategy and sort of the program that you're putting together at IEDC?
4: Megasites are such a huge part of attracting these projects that are going to create our economy of the future. Secretary Chambers has been instrumental in getting us laser focused on really accelerating identification and bringing forward of Megasites. And LEAP, Um, I encourage anybody that hasn't taken a look to go to our our website, iedc.in.gov. On the homepage, you'll find a direct link to the LEAP site. It's, it's an innovation district that's the size of the research triangle in the Carolinas. It's, it's got an anchor project in it, it's got multiple mega sites, it's got mixed-use community development, and it's really, from the site selectors that have interacted with it, put Indiana on the map in a way that I've not seen in my 12 years at IEDC. And it's also given us product development of something new that we can demonstrate now to show that ahead of the launch of LEAP we identified with Leota sixty plus megasite opportunities and they're across the state. That was very important to us and that they're you know, currently we're working as many opportunities to bring f- additional megasites forward in twenty twenty three and You won't see as many research triangle-sized innovation districts, but look to us to, as a big part of our mega-site strategy, to move forward 1,000-acre-plus mega-sites dispersed around the state where we know we need to create centers of industry and to start winning those projects throughout the state. And that then ties into the smaller-site strategy that those could support supply chain networks of these projects and the REACH could, you know, I, I don't think you can look at this in just, you know, the county that the project happens. These these are regional opportunities that I think begin to, to intersect. And to me, the mega sites are most important to sort of make that cohesive anchor company structure that then starts to tie opportunities in all 92 counties.
0: So go back and tell me, that. so you said that this has actually put Indiana on the map in a different way with site selectors. What does that mean?
4: I think site selectors were very surprised that we had that level of sophistication and that there was an opportunity that large in the Midwest.
2: The two things I've heard recently from a major nationwide site consultant was what you guys are doing with your site strategy and specifically what you're doing in LEAP puts you in the big leagues. Basically, we're up there with the North Carolina, the Tennessees, the Ohio's, the Texas, which we always knew and believed we were, but from a site strategy standpoint, they see that it's the state investing resources and dollars into not cannibalizing and replacing traditional sites, but filling a void, which is what we've had of regional mega sites. And so it's been a very, very positive reception to the point of one site consultant said, shame on me for not ever having looked at Indiana before. That's gonna change. And you know we said, well, whoa, not all your projects can go into LEAP. But the fact that we're taking this thoughtful strategic approach that overlays the normal strategic sites inventory that we're doing has caught a lot of the attention. And the last thing I'll say is, when we identified these mega sites, we don't have an endless budget or bank account to do things but that's where we are investing money to get phase two studies done engineering studies to go towards showing we've got a concrete roadmap and plan for these companies these mega projects to land so we're not just saying it could happen we're actually taking meaningful steps to show that it is happening which that catches a lot the eye of the site consultants a lot because what they hear all the time is we've got a great site we could make it happen for you what they hear from us is you've got great sites and you are already making it happen, or at least taking some of the initial groundwork that cuts six months out of the timeline for us.
0: So did I hear you say that you've identified 60 potential? So <laughs> how did those, how did that end up on the radar? I mean, cause this seems, this seems rather sudden.
4: I think it's invisible work to a lot of people. And I think that's the other reason you've heard us encourage multiple times to start getting in these conversations. And I. At first, when we launched SLEEP, I, I thought maybe we were giving away some of our hand and that other states are going to, it's going to take them a couple of years to catch up. So, yes, we've been looking for these opportunities for a couple of years, and it takes quite a bit of time to, to move forward at the community and, level. And
2: 60, to be clear, that was the initial pool of you know, multi-thousand acres contiguous. And then it goes through a vetting process. And this is where Victor and SSI has played a key role is, well, you got a hundred landowners on that, that's out. You don't have electricity anywhere close, that's out. And so that list got whittled down to the point where, you know, Boone County was obvious to us and we moved forward there. We've since kind of, you know, ranked, truly ranked and, and vetted down these. And now we're in a process where, We've identified what we believe are true viable properties in areas that have all the aspects that it takes and have now started to engage some locals on, on those conversations. So it started at 60, it was a long way to go. That's not to say we identified 60 ready-to-go mega sites. No, but the and,
4: idea that you've got to find a site on a major interstate, with a major labor shed, with major water, wastewater, with utilities, that's... A big group of check boxes and that's what site selectors demand and so these opportunities I feel like we have an investment now in some successive years of bringing some others forward but they they are by nature challenging to bring together and I think that's that's where we can gain a competitive edge is to keep aligning as communities and bring these forward together so Victor
0: is this something that as you were going through the the site analysis over the last couple of years this was this something that was quietly on your radar screen as you were looking at trying to identify these
3: things well yes and no and the the the, the yes part of that is is that we've always looked for mega sites uh, the no part of it is is that really and brock mentioned this earlier the complexion the nature of manufacturing is changing and when we looked at the initial go-round of what we call industrial mega sites you're typically looking at a more intensive land use whether they be for petrochemical or even auto assembly plants your typical type of operation that may have uh, more risk associated with human health and the environment etc you know it, it requires maybe the same footprint but you also have constraints where you want to minimize impacts to population centers uh, high, highly dense population areas as well as the infrastructure requirements that often these sites require rail, for example. You know, those are some constraints that maybe would limit the amount of sites that you identify. When you when you begin to look for what we call a tech mega park, just from the same basically buildable acreage that's available, uh, but perhaps the intensity of use on those sites is such that you can locate them within a community with, with less risk to being near densely populated areas. Oftentimes, the infrastructure requirements uh, are less stringent. Uh, Many times they actually we want to avoid things like rail. And so I think it opened up an opportunity for us to identify a larger potential inventory of what we're now considering to be tech mega parks.
0: So do we think that having the, the the mega sites and and development starting there? Does that help? Or does that hinder some of the other just basic the the regular sites that are identified because you know i think there could be a perception of well this is going to drain all of the energy away from other things
2: and i i think it truly helps and this is where from a state-sponsored mega site standpoint and leap is a great example we're not offering that in conjunction with the locals to any and all projects there's a specific type of user and project that we want there And they truly are those projects that need a 1,000 acres and hundreds of megawatts. Not every project needs that. Not every project that maybe has those requirements fits within an innovation or tech park. And that's where these other traditional industrial sites, three, four, 500-acre sites that we identify can still be offered. And so we truly see this as a complement filling a void versus being a a competitor and in many cases i mean we've already done it with boone county where we've said to site consultants this is great i want to go there we said well so does everybody else and this project doesn't fit there but look at all these other great sites in that 45 minute area through ssi that we could show you and then as matt mentioned the supply parks the supply chain stuff like that's where a mega site landing an oem that needs that thousand acres that otherwise doesn't fit on the 200 that 200 now all of a sudden is incredibly attractive because it's got the OEM five miles down the road from it. So back to
0: the SSI and, and Victor, this will probably be the third time that, that we, you and I have, have had this conversation, but it keeps coming up when I talk about this process with, with folks in the field. And they say, well, you know, we don't need somebody to come in here from some other state and, you know, tell us about what's happening in our backyard. We already know everything we need to know about what's happening in our backyard. So you and I've had this we've had this conversation in webinars and podcasts. But but, you know, talk about how you're bringing sort of a fresh look to what is in uh, people's backyard and and how you're perhaps helping them see what's there but that they really haven't seen before.
3: Sure, and I will tell you that in north of 480 some odd counties, you know, it's rare that we don't find at least one piece of dirt that, that somebody wasn't thinking about. And we, you know, it's very common to identify sites certainly uh, economic developers and they should be aware of what's in their backyard and we do uh, sometimes it's we provide some affirmation for what they've already been working with that's to be expected but if we can identify one maybe two potential sites that weren't on anybody's radar uh that certainly has has value to expand their inventory the other component of that is certainly they have property that they're either publicly marketing, uh, or even if they're not publicly on the market, but they know from landowners to be available. You know, have they really gone through an objective, a political process to benchmark those sites or, or determine their competitiveness uh, as a national economic development real estate asset? And so that's something else that we bring to the table. Again, not having a dog in the fight locally, if we can look at this objectively and and provide uh, a direct opinion. And not, you know, it's oftentimes we get into a situation where we have a strong opinion why a particular site, even somebody's industrial park, that they've invested a lot of money in to improve, you know, where its shortcomings are and, and be very specific about what we're seeing and why that ultimately is going to probably diminish their competitiveness in some form or fashion, but at the same time, provide some alternatives for where they have opportunity, you know, outside of that property. Uh, it just can be a political, sometimes it can be a very political conversation, especially if money's been invested in property locally. Sometimes you have developers involved or other properties that are being marketed. And so I, I do think it helps tremendously to have a third party, an outside consultant come in that can, you know, uh, get out of the fray of the, the local politics and provide a direct uh, objective opinion.
0: And we've always emphasized that, it, that what you're doing is not a substitute or a replacement for what economic developers do on the ground. Uh, it's just helping to bring some fresh eyes uh, to, to identifying some of those opportunities. It still means that, that in the process, they have to be the ones to engage with those landowners. They have to be the ones to really sort of move that property forward if and when it's determined to be viable and i think that's where there's some defensiveness that comes into this this is not intended to be a replacement for anything that has been happening this is really in in effect i, I use this word with some circumspection but it's a gift that has been presented i think on behalf of IEDC and the power partners to provide some opportunities to create more inventory and help us maybe see something that we've taken for granted so there still is always a lot of engagement for the locals even after this process is done
2: yeah i think you hit on that it's an opportunity that we've already invested money and we would encourage everybody to take advantage of because we see the benefits Um, but it's a limited opportunity we don't have funds to go out and put options under land and do phase two studies everywhere so to your point i mean it's us trying to present the opportunity we have you know and position folks for success
4: i think the other thing is a win begets a win the idea of bringing an opportunity forward would also make the existing inventory more competitive we've talked about it a little bit brock talked about it a little bit earlier but i think as we've looked at some of the existing inventory that's something that i hadn't expected to find is that if you could create a new opportunity and win a project in that area the other the other site that might not have been as competitive automatically becomes more competitive Mm -hmm.
0: so I appreciate the three of you uh, taking time to chat so where are we where are the big opportunities yet in sort of our site readiness site selection process where are we ahead of the game and where are we behind and so where do we go to fill in those gaps
4: I think we started with this if you haven't scheduled your local site review definitely reach out to Sarah Salisbury that is a great first step and I think the other thing to just keep in mind is, you know, the power of the local community, the power of one site in every county. If we had 92 new sites this year, that's almost half of the deal flow per year at IEDC. It, it's wildly transformational. And, and a community can bring a site forward. It's, it, Brock said it just perfectly. It's, it's really hard for us to bring 92 sites forward. But if each county could bring one forward, it would be an amazing transformation.
2: Yeah, and I would just add, I mean, I think we've, we're have we ahead of the game when it comes to this normal SSI site identification, traditional sites. That's something we don't see other states do. And I think we're ahead of most in our mega site development, but definitely behind some, you know, you look at North Carolina, Ohio, they've got five or six state sponsored mega sites. And so that's where I think we're really working to not play catch up, but put our foot on the gas. And so to that point, I mean, we're in very good conversations with some communities across the state right now on the more mega site discussions as Matt and Victor continue to try to map the rest of the entire county or state, I should say.
3: It, let me say this about an advantage that I think Indiana has above other states that really have legacy mega site programs. A lot of other states do have sites on the market whether they're state-sponsored or going through formal state site readiness or site certification programs but a lot of those properties they really were brought to the state or they were invested in locally and they organically sort of uh, grew in acreage and became a quote-unquote mega site but frankly a lot of those sites the reason they're still unoccupied and they've been around for a long time is because they have some material impediments for development The key difference in what we're doing in Indiana is the quality is driving the identification of these properties and ultimately they're being promoted uh, or at least presented as potential mega sites. And all the work that IEDC is doing with their power partners and with the Lido's with all the work that's being done locally, the idea is that these sites are coming forward but they're coming forward out of a process that starts with criteria that says this particular piece of property is is competitive and and has all the right characteristics that you need to be ready for development and lacks a lot of the impediments uh, that you need that would cause a a cost issue or an environmental issue or a public concern issue and i think that's a key difference in what's happening in indiana
0: i want to thank uh, you guys for talking with me today joining me in the podcast today were brock herr iedc senior vice president for business development matt wade iedc vice president for marketing and victor leota principal with leota location and design and we've been talking about the strategic sites inventory program Uh, SSI uh, and what has been uh, this has been a second in our series of podcasts focusing on IEDC programs and activities. I want to thank the three of you for joining me
2: today. Thanks Lee and if I can just say one last thing I know we mentioned IPP a couple times I think we'd be remiss if we didn't say the Indiana Power Partner Working Group that we put together with our utility partners they've been a great partner in this not just in helping inform um, from a site readiness standpoint, but down to financing some of the phase two. So want to make sure I give a shout out to the IPP partners as well. Has, that's highly appropriate. So thanks
0: a <laughs> lot. I appreciate that. And sorry, we didn't get that done sooner. Yeah. I appreciate that. Victor, thanks for phoning in today.
3: Sure thing. Thanks, Lee.
0: All right. Thank you all. Thanks, Lee.
1: Thank you for listening. IMPA is a proud sponsor of IEDA and its podcast series. IMPA and its public power communities are committed to helping businesses thrive. For more information, please contact Victoria ross at victoriar at impa.com.
0: You've been listening to IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. All content on this podcast is copyright 2023 by the Indiana Economic Development Association, which retains all rights to this content. And by the way, the theme music was composed and performed by me, Lee Llewellyn. Thanks.